Daniel chapter 7. If you would, go ahead and turn there, please. All right. Daniel, Daniel is split in half, the book of Daniel. First half and second half. The first half is telling chronological stories in the life of Daniel while he's in captivity in Babylon. Uh, Daniel 7 uh, is the beginning of a new section. Uh, there's a very distinct ending to the, the chronological storytelling and a very distinct beginning of Daniel having apocalyptic dreams and visions. All right, They're prophecies um, that, that are... Uh, have a lot of similarities to the book of Revelation. Daniel is a prophet, and we see through the first half of the book of Daniel uh, that he does have dreams, and that he does interpret dreams, and it is a specific gift from God. It doesn't happen all the time, and it doesn't happen to everybody, and it's a very specific thing that God has blessed Daniel with. And what we are going to see at the end of the book of Daniel is that he is having apocalyptic Dreams. Now, they're a little weird. They're a little crazy. There's a lot of symbolism. Um, there's a lot of imagery. And uh, these chapters have to be read um, with an understanding of apocalyptic literature. So before we jump in and start reading some of this, of this wild dream, um, I want to give a little bit of just some hints to us as we begin to read some of this literature. Um, first of all, symbolism is used strongly throughout the, 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 uh, throughout the scriptures. Um, and it's used to symbolically prove a true truth. Okay? A good example, Psalm 23. All right? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He leads me beside still waters to green pastures. He restores my soul, my cup runneth over. He prepares, he prepares a table before me in the presence of my enemies. I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, but I will fear no evil. His rod and his staff, they comfort me. This is all symbolism, but they're all symbols of, of, of true truth. God, I don't believe, has a physical staff and a physical rod that he, he guides me through. You know? And I don't actually walk through a valley with death shadowing over me. But you see where it's going, right? It's... it's the first part of Psalm 23 is very comforting. The Lord is my shepherd, and I shall not want. And it puts you, as the reader, in this, in this place of comfort, um, symbolically communicating to you true truths about our God, that he is our shepherd. Not literally, but he is our provider, that he is our guider, and he takes us to green pastures. Not literally, but what does that mean? Places of rest and refreshment. Insecurity, where we don't have to be on guard, that we can look to him for counsel, for guidance, for peace, even though you walk through the valley of the shadow of death. He doesn't literally create a table before us in the presence of our enemies, but he gives us an overflowing sense. Our cup overflows. Okay, So we see that throughout the course of Scripture. Second, I would like to share a definition that is not mine. It's from a guy named Ian DeGuide. And he defined apocalyptic Scripture this way, and I think it's really important for us to grasp this. So I'm going to read this little quote for you twice. Biblical apocalyptic literature is a revelation of the ending of this present age 
which is an age characterized by conflict and its replacement by the final age of peace. It shows us ahead of time the end of the kingdoms of this world and their replacement by the kingdom of our God and his Christ. This revelation is unfolding. It is complex and it has mysterious imagery and it has the purpose of comforting and exhorting the faithful. Okay? So apocalyptic literature <coughs> is one that describes the ending of the current age. It describes the beginning of the age to come. It describes the current age as an age that is uh, in conflict and broken and, and evil and a coming age that is perfected. Um, and it has a purpose of comforting and exhorting the faithful. Once again, because I want this to be on our minds as we jump into the dreams of Daniel because they're, we've all had wacky dreams before. But these are, these are visions given by God with very unsettling imagery, and it unsettles Daniel himself. He, he says a couple times <clears throat> through the end of Daniel that um, my color left me, that, um, that I, I, I lost sleep, and that, that these, this troubled me greatly. Okay? Biblical apocalyptic literature is a revelation of the ending of this present age, which is an age characterized by conflict and its replacement by the final age of peace. It shows us ahead of time the end of the kingdom of this world and their replacement by the kingdom of our God and his Christ. This revelation is unfolded in complex and mysterious imagery and has the purpose of comforting and exhorting the faithful. So with that in mind, let's look at Daniel chapter 7. All right? I'm going to be reading from the ESV. Uh, verse 1. In the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel saw a dream and visions of his head as he lay in his bed. Then he wrote down the dream and told the sum of the matter. Verse 2. Daniel declared, I saw in my vision by night, and behold, the four winds of heaven were stirring up the great sea. And the four great beasts came up out of the sea, different from one another. The first was like a lion and had eagle's wings. Then, as I looked, its wings were plucked off, and it was lifted up from the ground and made to stand on two feet like a man. And the mind of a man was given to it. And behold, another beast, the second one, like a bear, it was raised up on one side. It had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth, and it was told, Arise, devour, eat much flesh. After this I looked, and behold, another, like a leopard, with four wings of a bird on its back. And the beast had four heads, and dominion was given to it. After this, I saw in the night visions, and behold, a fourth beast, terrifying and dreadful and exceedingly strong. It had great iron teeth. It devoured and broke in pieces and stamped what was left with its feet. It was different from the other beasts that, was before, that were before it. And it had ten horns. I considered the horns, and behold, there came up among them another horn, a little one, before which three of the first horns were plucked up by the roots. And behold, in this horn were eyes like the eyes of a man, and mouth, and a mouth speaking great things. Let's pause there. Weird, right? <laughs> okay. Um, we're just gonna we're gonna look at these here. We've got a lion, a bear, and then we have a leopard, four wings, and four heads. 
And then we have undefined beast. It's not, it's not said, other than it's terrible. All right, we're just going to call it beast. Um, go back to the beginning of the chapter, uh, verse 1. In the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel saw a dream, visions of his head as he lay in his bed. Then he, he wrote down the dream and told the sum of the matter. Verse 2, Daniel declared, I saw in my vision by night, and behold, the four winds of heaven were stirring up the great sea. This is where we begin to see symbolism. Um, the great sea throughout the course of uh, not only the Bible but ancient literature is um, a place of uncertainty and, and dread and fear and, and un, un, an uncontrollable nature in the sea. And you can kind of envision that, can't you? And back in the day before you had GPS, before you had lifeboats, if you took your ship out to sea and a storm came up, you were at the complete mercy of the sea. It says that the four winds blew and stirred up the sea, and four great beasts came out of the sea. Now, the imagery that we have here is imagery that is designed to be terrifying and designed to be grotesque and, and horrible. We have uh, the lion that um, has wings, and the wings are torn off. The lion is lifted. Uh, it's given the mind of a man. Uh, we have the bear um, in verse 5, and behold, another beast, the second one like a bear. To me, personally, bears are terrifying. Um, it, it, you know, they're not using fluffy imagery here. Uh, it is designed to be, to be scary. You know, like Psalm 23 is designed to be comforting. This is designed to, to draw fear and terror. It was raised up on one side. Some scholars say that it was raised up on one side, meaning uh, that it was getting ready to pounce. Another, other scholars, uh, there's dispute, say that it was raised up on one side because it was so grotesquely deformed. Um, it had three ribs in his mouth because it had been devouring people. I mean, this is gross. This is terrifying. This is scary. This is, this is bloody. Um, then you have a leopard uh, with four wings on it, but also four heads, uh, signifying that it can see in, in all four directions. It can always see you coming, and there's no way to get around it. And then most terrifying of all is you have this fourth beast. Verse 7. Um, After this I saw in the night visions, and behold, a fourth beast, terrifying and dreadful and exceedingly strong, it had great iron teeth, and it devoured and broke into pieces and stamped what was left. It was different from the other beasts that were before it, and it had ten horns. Horns symbolize defense and, and off, offensive strength. I mean, that's what horns are used for in the animal world. And, you know, the, the bigger the buck that you shoot with a bigger rack of horns is, is a bigger prize, right? Because it's, it's a mightier beast. And uh, it has ten horns. Now, it even gets, even if that was semi-normal, it just gets weirder. Uh, there's a little horn that, that grows on the beast. Um, but it has great strength, and it has the power to speak and to see. And it conquers three of the other ten horns and uproots them, which is, um, imagine a root being pulled off of an animal, or a, a horn being pulled off an animal. I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's terrible. I mean, it's, it's painful. It's, it's bloody. Um, but this eleventh small horn has power over the others. Bizarre. And odd, 
but designed to be scary. Verse 9. Let's look back at the text here. As I looked, all right, scene shift. As I looked, thrones were placed, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was white as snow, the hair of his head like pure wool. His throne was fiery flames. Its wheels were burning fire. A stream of fire issued out and came up from behind him. A thousand thousands served him, and ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court sat in judgment, and the books were opened. You see the image? Thrones, Ancient of Days, which is the name of God. And then we have a, a description of God, really one of the, the more clear descriptions uh, that we see you know, anywhere in the Old Testament as, as an all-white, symbolizing purity, symbolizing justice, being. The flames. First thing I think of is what? Hunger Games. Thank you. I saw somebody mouth it. I almost said who. All right? Maybe I saw it on the airplane. Maybe I didn't. Um, thank you. Um, flames are consuming, you know? Flames are all-powerful. And we see here, before the throne, seated the Ancient of Days, he took his seat in all white, in all purity, and then he is uh, defined really by his flames. His throne, at the end of verse 9, was fiery flames. The wheels on his chariot were burning fire, and a stream of fire issued out, came before him, and the books were opened. I just like the way that that lays itself out. I am judge. The books are opened. Let me see what you have done, and I will judge you by my fire. Verse 11. I looked then because of the sound of the great words that the horn was speaking, the small 11th horn. And as I looked, the beast was killed and its body destroyed and given over to be burned with fire. As for the rest of the beasts, their dominion was taken away, but their lives were prolonged for a season and for a time. All right, so at the beginning of this vision, we have this, this beastly uh, description of, of terror and fear. And then we're immediately we're introduced into thrones of judgment and purity and definitive uh, righteousness through these flames. He hears the words of the small horn speaking because we already have established that it can't speak. And then he's silenced. He is destroyed and he's cast into the flames. And the dominion of the other beasts was stripped from them, yet they were allowed to live for a time longer. Verse 13. I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. And he came to the Ancient of Days, and he was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom, that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. So the four beasts, their dominion was stripped, and their kingdoms were taken away and crushed, and they were killed. But there is now the Son of Man. You see the image of Christ here, right? Isn't this cool? I mean, behold, with the clouds of heaven, all right? Anybody coming in on the clouds is, is, is always a symbol, symbolism of coming from God. 
With clouds of heaven there came one like a son of man, and he came to God, the Ancient of Days. And it was presented before him, and to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom. And all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. In verse 1, it says the first year of King Belshazzar. So we know historically that was around five, the 550s B.C. All right? Jesus Christ came, you know, around 0 or 3 A.D. And this is 550 years before the coming of Christ. And, and, and there's a distinct prophecy that Jesus Christ will come and that Jesus Christ will reign. That there will be, I don't want to get too far ahead of myself. That Jesus Christ is coming, all right? And, 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 and this, is, this is documented, all right? This, this was given to Daniel in the time of the Babylonian captivity of God's chosen people who had broken the covenant with God and they had been taken into captivity to, um, to, to bring them back to a right relationship and a fixed covenant with God Almighty. And in that time of captivity, they have somebody who is given a prophecy an apocalyptic prophecy prophesying what the end of time will look like, saying that there is one coming for you. And he will reign forever and ever, and his dominion will last, and all others will fail. Verse 15. Let's keep rolling. As for me, Daniel, my spirit within me was anxious, and the visions of my head alarmed me. I approached one of those who stood there and asked him the truth concerning all this, meaning an angel, in his dream. So he told me and made known to me the interpretation of the things. All right, let's pause there for a second. So Daniel is alarmed. He's anxious. He's very unsettled <laughs> on what's going on. So he asks somebody in the dream, what, what does this mean? And this is the response. This is a big question. You know, I had this crazy, horrifying, terrible dream. What does it mean? Tell me what it means. And he's answered. Verse 17. Here's your answer to all this craziness. Verse 17. These four great beasts are four kings who shall arise out of the earth. But the saints of the Most High shall receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever and ever. Do you want a little more information? Does that elicit that? That's what? One sentence? Two sentences. All right, I just had this horrifying vision uh, of, of ribs, blood, horns torn out, beasts that are devouring, iron teeth stomping out, thrones, fiery chariots, eternal judgment, ancient of days. What does this mean? Oh, they're four kings, and you're away forever. Come on. <laughs> Who? When? Where? What does this mean? What does this look like? You know, give me some, I want to know what's coming. It is very unsettling. Verse 17, these four great beasts are four kings. And that's about all that's given. We're given a little bit more, but that's about it. These are four kings that shall arise out of the earth. Verse 18, but the saints of the Most High shall receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever, forever, and ever. I like the phrasing of that, don't you? Forever, comma, forever, and ever. Verse 19, Daniel asked another question. Verse 19, Then I, des I desired to know the truth about the fourth beast, which was different from all the rest, exceedingly terrifying, and its teeth of iron and claws of bronze, which devoured and broke into pieces and stamped what was left with its feet. 
And when the ten horns that were on its head, and the other horn that came up, and before them three of them, three of them fell. And the horn that had eyes and a mouth that spoke great things, and seemed greater than its companions. Verse 21. As I looked, this horn made war with the saints and prevailed over them, until the Ancient of Days came, and judgment was given for the saints of the Most High. And the time came when the saints possessed the kingdom. So Daniel again asks, well, what about the fourth piece? What about the horns? What about the one horn? What about all this stuff? And he's not given a whole lot of information other than verse 22, or verse 21, as I looked, this horn made war with the saints, and he prevailed over them. This is bad. This is evil. This is destruction. This is oppression. This is persecution that will happen to the saints. Verse 22, until. Until the ancient of days came, and judgment was given for the saints of the Most High, and the time came when the saints possessed the kingdom. Verse 23. Thus he said, As for the fourth beast, there shall be a fourth kingdom on the earth, which shall be different from all the kingdoms, and it shall devour the whole earth, and trample it down, and break it to pieces. As for the ten horns, out of this kingdom ten kings shall arise, and another shall arise after them, and he shall be different from the former ones, and shall put down three kings. Verse 25. He shall speak words against the Most High, and shall wear out the saints of the Most High, and shall think to change the time and the law, and, and they shall be given into his hand, and for a time, times, and half a time. Verse 26. But the court shall sit in judgment, and his dominion shall be taken away, to be consumed and destroyed to the end. Verse 27. And the kingdom and the dominion and the greatness of the kingdom under the whole heaven shall be given to the people of the saints of the Most High. Their kingdom shall be an everlasting kingdom, and all dominions shall serve and obey them. The final verse, 28. Here is the end of the matter. As for me, Daniel, my thoughts greatly alarmed me, and my color changed, but I kept the matter in my heart. We have a timeline here. A vision given. Um, let's say that this is the Babylonian captivity. Alright, where Daniel is living. Um, we'll say this is the end of the current age and the beginning of the age of Christ. Alright, my poor writing for infinity. Um, somewhere along the line Christ comes um, and we do not know the end now there are things in this vision that are exceedingly clear and there are things in this vision that are incredibly vague All right, we see in the interpretation of this vision that these are kings aka kingdoms alright um, you can read a hundred different books and really find a hundred different possible um, answers to specifically who is the lion, you know, who was the bear, who was the leopard, and who is this final beast. Um, but this text 
doesn't specifically say. It just, it just straight up doesn't. Some people say maybe the lion is actually Nebuchadnezzar because it talks about Nebuchadnezzar being humbled. The lion had wings, remember, and they were torn off. And then the lion was lifted back up to stand on feet like men and then given a mind. Some people say, you know, the story of Nebuchadnezzar when he was humbled and lived like a beast and then he was restored. Maybe that was it. Um, the bear, you know, the next, historically, the next kingdom that came after the Babylonians was the uh, Medo-Persian Empire. <laughs> they, they're the ones that conquered the Babylonians. Um, and they, they conquered people and the bear devours people in the vision. Um, the leopard had four heads. You know, the next kingdom historically was uh, the Greek Empire. And after Alexander the Great died at age 33, his kingdom was divided into, by his four generals. You know, the, the beast has four heads. Maybe, maybe that's it. And then this last beast, what could that be? It has ten horns. Are those ten you know, further kingdoms? Uh, the next empire would be the Roman Empire. Uh, but then there's that other other horn that's really persecuting everybody, uh, you know, and so some people have said, well, actually, maybe maybe that's not it at all, you know, maybe the lion is ancient kingdoms, maybe the bears is the, the, the Soviet era, you know, because they had the bear, that was their, you know, their, their image, um, and then uh, the Antichrist, you know, the mark of the beast, we see that in Revelation, where is that? Is that, is that this, is this ancient kingdoms, and then, and then the beast, is that the, the kingdom of the Antichrist, because it talks about him persecuting and changing the calendar and all those sorts of things. The text doesn't say. And it doesn't say on purpose. You know, um, we, we want to know, don't we? We, we, we want to know how things are going to go and why uh, so, that we can, um, so that we can better navigate life. You know, I mean, and you could you could take this a hundred different directions, but I want to know um, what my maybe my career what my career path is going to be. I want to know what my my marriage path is going to be. I want to know what my financial path is going to be. But we just don't know, and it, and it forces us to say that we have to trust in the one that we do know, which we see now as uh, the person of Jesus Christ. But these are not identified. These are not identified in the text. But what is specifically identified is that they will come to an end and there will be a new era that is beginning here that will be an era of eternal dominion that the saints of the most high will possess and these are not saints like catholic saints you know only the holy of holies or the missionaries saints are defined by followers of god you and me if you've trusted jesus christ as your lord and savior you are a saint by definition scripturally all right? So this is saying that there is going to be eras of, of evil and persecution and oppression throughout the course of this age. It is going to happen. There is going to be uh, um, martyrs and imprisonment and torture to God's people throughout the course of this age. But this age will be judged and there will be a new age that will be introduced that is a glorious age of hope for God's people. That is what is explicitly clear. It says it in verse 17. These four great beasts are four kings who shall arise out of the earth. But the saints of the Most High shall receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever, forever, and ever. <laughs> verse 22. The Ancient of Days will come and will judge. And he will give to the saints of the Most High. 
the time that came when the saints possess the time will come when the saints will possess the kingdom verse 27 and the kingdom and the dominion and the greatness of the kingdom under the whole heaven shall be given to the people of the saints of the most high their kingdom shall be an everlasting kingdom and all dominions shall serve and obey them this is what is certain and this is what the vision points to this all that we know is that this is going to be bad these are bad this is going to be bad there will be judgment and there is a hope today 2014 hearing some of the stories that kelly talked about you know that there's that there's still countries that have an outcast system that there are kidnappings where people can just disappear forever um, and be sold into modern-day slavery. Um, we hear stories of, uh, heard a story this week of believers um, who um, were gunned down for their faith. This is happening around the world. Um, people are oppressed. People are imprisoned. People are persecuted. People are disallowed uh, jobs for their faith in Jesus Christ. Um, so what's going on? But where it's not going on, really, is here now in the United States. And so I read this text, and I see that these, these ages, these kingdoms of evil, uh, where we see historically very specific examples of persecution and oppression against the saints. But I look at 2014 America, and I think, Look at us. We're here at church right now. You know, we're getting ready to go to the worship service. You know, and then after that, we're going to go to eat at whatever what restaurant we want to. Like we're all employed. Like there, there, there's not this feeling of oppression and persecution for the saints here now. So where do we go with this as 2014 American Christians here and now? I want to draw your attention back to the time when you accepted Christ as your Savior. Now, everybody here has a different story, okay? And some of you in here maybe haven't done that. Um, but look back and think back on your own life when you got to the point where you recognized that you need something outside of yourself to save your soul eternally, that you were, in fact, a sinner in desperate need of a Savior. You there? When we accepted Christ as our Savior, we stepped into a new, a new covenant that said that we are doing away with our old life and we are submitting ourselves to a greater hope. That's what we are doing as new believers. That we are, are putting our hope on something better and something greater and something more sure and certain and something that we could build, literally build our life upon. That this is where we go to build our convictions. This is where we go to define our relationships. This is where we go to define what we're going to do with our life. This is it. That is part of the salvation experience. And I believe that what can often happen to us as believers in a very comfortable society is that we begin, we can lose that future hope because we are not being oppressed. Oppression pushes you to say, you need to hope in something greater. When you're not in an oppressive culture, what happens is you begin to be lulled asleep and saying that I don't need to hope for something better because I'm pretty content here and now, right? You see that? 
that we can find contentment in the here and now. That we can find, that we can move our hope from this future hope of look at the hope of the saints of God of an eternal kingdom and dominion forever. This is where my hope lies. And we can shift this hope back to this current age because we are not being oppressed. That we can find ourselves lulled to evil contentment. That our, our age is evil by the definitions of Scripture, even though we are not afraid, uh, oppressed in Mount Pleasant, South Carolina. But if you think about what this age is really all about in America, we, I think we would agree. It's about materialism, right? I mean, y- y- you flip through Facebook and there's, and there's, there's you know, suggested posts. You know, every game that you watch is just pelted with commercials. We're living in a commercialized culture that says you need more. You need to look better. You need to be sexier. You need to have newer stuff. You need to drive a newer car. And this is this, this unsatisfiable <coughs> longing that this culture is saying you need this, but you will never be satisfied by it. That is evil. That is evil, and we fall into it. And the same thing can be explained for, uh, for lust. You need this in your life. You need, you need this, this level of sexual fulfillment. Whether you find that in this dream marriage one day, or you find it in, through other sources, you need that. And you know, once you get there, it's going to be awesome. But it will never, never be satisfied by the world standards. Or identity, or, or financial security. You know, I, know, I, know, I know people who are financially insecure, even though they have six figures. And it's like, what? And it's, the, and it's the lies of this evil culture lulling you to sleep saying, you can put your hope here. You can, right? Come on, be comfortable. Rest. Withdraw your hope from the future, the future hope and glory of God and put your hope right here where it will not be satisfied. And that is evil. And I think that the importance of the gathering of the believer, like we're doing right here and right now, is to draw us back to the hope that we know and that it's already filed in the file cabinet of our mind, that our hope is in Jesus, but sometimes we let that hope slip into our job or our relationship or fill in the blank. And as believers, we are called to re-remember the things that we already know and say, no, I need to go back to that time when I committed my life to Jesus. I know when I committed my life to Jesus, it was because I was afraid of hell. And I said, I don't know what I can do to save myself but I'm going to commit myself to you and trust you with my eternal soul. And you know what? I, feel, I find security in that, but I forget the passion of the hope that I had that one night when I was in ninth grade and I was scared out of my mind and said, I'm, I'm, I'm leaving this up to you, God. And I need to go back to that hope and say, that is what I ought to be living for because that was a time when I, I committed my life to Christ and he saved my soul. And that is where my hope needs to be. In the, in the things and the promises that God has, has given us through the new covenant that we have in our salvation in Jesus Christ. You know, we're going to go to the worship service right now, and we're going to sing these songs in worship. And I want us to be drawing our attention to those songs. We're going to be taking the Lord's Supper, and it's, and it's a symbolic memory of what Christ did for us on the cross to keep bringing us back to the gospel. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your love. I thank you for this text. Father, may, may, we be, may we see 
the beast in our own culture and be afraid of it and see that it actually is oppressing us even if we don't always see it right away so that we can be pushed towards the hope that you offer us through the gospel. In Jesus' name.